Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Sarah Gustafson. She is a Czech practitioner, holistic level three. She's a holistic nutritionist, and she's also a corrective exercises coach. Sarah, thank you for being here. Thank you. So we were just chatting a little bit about how you became interested in holistic nutrition in the first place. Mm -hmm. And you revealed that you actually have a diagnosis of celiac disease or mm -hmm. gluten intolerance. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how you, I guess, discovered uh, that you had celiac and kind of what led up to you becoming interested in holistic nutrition? Um, yeah, it's quite a, um, it's, you know, a, quite a journey to that discovery of 14 years. And, um, you know, I think we had discussed before about how a, a lot of the challenges in your life will continue to repeat themselves until mm -hmm. you listen. And that is sort of what happened to me, although, you know, at seven years old, you know, I wouldn't have known what to do or how to listen. Mm. Um, and in the 80s, there wasn't a lot known about it. Um, but, yeah, starting at about five years old, I started to have chronic ear infections mm. um, and a lot of stomach problems. And, uh, you know, back then it was like, you know, crack a Dr. Pepper, here's some prune juice and things like that to deal with the tummy problems and that worked right mm -hmm. that's kind of you know that worked for those problems um acutely um and the chronic ear infection here's some antibiotics by the time i was seven i was um basically um antibiotics didn't work anymore they were mm -hmm. giving me adult doses um and adult uh, adult strength prescription antibiotics and i had become um, basically immune to every antibiotic uh, um, prescription. Like, they, they tried every type of antibiotic with me, and it wasn't working anymore. Wow. And so um, by the time they had, um, at that, that point, I had, I had turned seven to eight, um, the ear infections were bouncing from one ear to the other. So when I got one on the right ear, they would give me an antibiotic. It would bounce to the left, and same thing. Mm. They just kept bouncing from one ear to the right. And so I was so resistant to the antibiotics that now the infection began to spread to the brain. And so they had to, they were like, you know, we're not going to try this anymore. They had to put me in ICU. And... Um, I was in ICU for a couple of months, I think, and um, trying to recover from that. And so it was pretty traumatic. But since that time, when I was seven or eight, um, I was just chronically ill. Um, I didn't respond well to antibiotics, even though each time I got an infection, they would give me antibiotics and it would help a little. Mm -hmm. But you could just you could set your time, you know, your watch to the time I stopped taking antibiotics to like three months later, I would 
you know, get another infection of mm. some kind, you know, whether it's a cold or a virus or, you know, whatever it was. Um, you know, I was one of those rare cases of kids who got chickenpox twice. Mm. Um, although the first case I had was pretty um, severe. The second time I had it was like not very bad at all, but they confirmed it. They, they confirmed um, that I had it. And so I was just a very, very sick kid, always had um, infections, viruses, colds. I started getting migraines when I was 10. Hmm. I mean, the kind were like blinded in the right eye, like severe paralyzed pain, uh, vomiting. And I was just in fourth grade. I remember my first one. And um, I just missed a lot of school. Um, and I had a lot of anxiety, a lot of stomach problems, a lot of skin issues. I was um, severely, like, just weak-jointed. Mm. Um, but I loved soccer. It was, like, my passion. And I felt like even that one joy would was taken from me because um, each time I was well enough to play, I'd sprain my ankle, sprain my arm. Mm. You know, here's you know another sprained arm wrist but that's from a horse but here here I was always trying to kind of like keep up with mm -hmm. my peer groups and stay ahead and um I just never could and um so by the time I was in high school um I was on anti-anxiety medication antidepressants um prednisone steroids um and um uh, pretty hefty pain pain medications mm -hmm. um, you know I'm talking like codeine and, and tramadol and um, muscle relaxers and things like that and um, I had even actually OD'd on one accidentally because there was a, a brand new migraine medication that had come out um, Imitrex I believe that they wanted to allow me to try and it was you give yourself a shot and I had a really bad reaction to it where all the muscles in my face froze and oh my goodness I was only 16 so I thought well uh you know I couldn't get a hold of my mom so I thought I would just take the muscle relaxers so you know being a dumb kid I took muscle relaxers and so I just had really really bad time <laughs> being always sick always on medications and by the time I was 21 we couldn't really get a grasp with what was wrong with me so by the time I was 21 you know I was already in college um, trying to sort of prove myself mentally because that was the one thing I had was a brain <laughs> I thought in my head right like well I got my brain mm -hmm. right no one's got that yet and um, so I worked myself to death to prove, like, at least I can do something with this. Well, when I got to college and I was away from my parents, I did too much. Hmm. And I, I drove myself into the ground and got myself so sick that um, I began losing so much weight that when I went to the doctor, um, first thing they said was, are you bulimic? And... Um, you know, I'm like, well, if I was, why would I be here? <laughs> you know, and then secondly, they, you know, when they did the um, biopsy, they found the tumor. Uh, it was just below my esophagus. And they saw that my small intestine was so inflamed, they took some tissues. And, and then they, they said right away, they were like, well, we were able to take the tumor 
you're going to be fine. Everything's fine. Don't be scared. But you've got celiac disease. And I was like, what is that? He was like, an explanation for why you've been sick your whole life. And then for, su for some reason, it was just such a relief. It was like all those years of everybody, you know, sort of thinking like she's theatrical, it's all in her head, or, mm. you know, maybe she's doing it for attention, or maybe she's weak, or maybe, you know, the runt of the litter, or the milkman's daughter, maybe, you know, you know like all these names I was called, like suddenly I had like, a, like a label and nobody likes labels but at that moment in my life I loved it mm -hmm. and an explanation for it why made you had sense. faced all of these struggles right. yeah and so you know immediately I'm like okay well what's what's celiac disease and I'm like excited right like so all of a sudden I'm like forget the tumor like great yeah like what's celiac disease right <laughs> and he explained to me what it was and um he admitted, like, not we don't know much about it, but you're going to have to talk to our dietitian about, you know, because really the only way to get better to treat it is to eliminate foods and certain foods. You have to go on a certain diet. And I was like, okay, like, I can deal with that. So he sent me to the dietitian's office, and I sat down, and I talked to her. And the only thing I remember is she had these really thick glasses, and there was a mole on her chin with a big, long hair growing out of it. And I asked her, you know, so, you know, what do I do? what do I have to do? And she says, well, you've got celiac, and so you have to eliminate gluten. And I said, what's gluten? And she says, well, it's like the stuff that makes bread thick. And I was like, you know, I'm 21. I've, <laughs> you know, like I, you know, just fresh in college, like I really didn't know what any of this stuff. My mom cooked for me my whole life. I was like, well, what is that? She goes, well, you have to, you're going to have to look on the internet. You're going to have to search, you know, like on Google and stuff. <laughs> and I said, okay. The doctor sends you to the internet because she doesn't have any answers for you. Correct. <laughs> and so here I am. That's, that's, you know, kind of like what launched my career, basically. Because since then, like, even though I was going to school for, you know, political science and public administration and then later, you know, criminal justice, I had a couple of careers before this. In the background, all I did was study nutrition. All I did was study the body, physiology, biology, and everything, because that's what I had to do to figure out how to maintain my health and and sustain myself mm -hmm. because not very many people you know back then and even the doctors and specialists I ever saw knew much about you know celiac disease and anybody I ever talked to didn't know much about it and and yeah. so I had to do this on my own from the very beginning now like they know a lot about it there's right. you can click click and then pff, there's just thousands of websites and mm -hmm. so um yeah, so that, that was always, from the very beginning, like my side career was managing my health. Mm -hmm. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychetruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. 
Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. Can you go into a little bit more detail? Um, you mentioned you're in criminal justice and like legal work, the career path that you have, yeah. because it's so <laughs> markedly different yeah. from what you do now. I think it's interesting to just kind of see what a big transition that you've made. Yeah, I talk to my clients often about this, of how important it is to have a dream because, um, and a dream that belongs to you, because I, um, when I was younger, I was really pursuing what I thought I was supposed to do and what was going to make my family and others proud of me because really acceptance was so important to me mm. and um, making my family proud was important to me because I always felt that I was like just a huge burden mm. and um, I really just wanted them to be proud. So really I was just doing what I thought was going to bring pride and, and acceptance and then like Sarah really did it, right? Doing something they didn't think I could do. So um, we've talked about this before as well is, is um, what narrative are you on? Is it your story or is it somebody else's? And so really my first pursuit was not really mine. It was another it was another narrative. It was another story. And so I was pursuing politics and and um, it, although it was altruistic, I'm the kind of person who's very empathetic and I wear my emotions on my sleeve. So it's very difficult for me to um, uh, be, uh, you know, no offense to anybody who's in government, I just want to say. But it was very difficult once I got out to D.C. and Capitol Hill. I can't be dishonest and I have to say that's part of the job it just really is it's part of the job whether it is withholding information or just straight up being dishonest about information when people are asking you questions about um, your boss or you know whatever information that you know they're trying to get from you um, it's all right here like no matter what's coming out of my mouth it, it's right here in my face and I can't do it and it's like I just can't lie. So I knew right then and there like I'm not going to be a very good senator or lobbyist and so I uh, while I was I'm like well I'm in DC and this is a great town and I love this town and I like the people so I um, got a great job in venture capital with a great boss and it paid well and it was really exciting learning how businesses um, are built and grow mm -hmm. and expand and kind of evolve. And that was a very exciting job and it kind of got me to where I was. Um, married, had a kid, came to Texas, went back to school and um, really wanted to follow my dream at the time of helping people um, through the justice system. So went back to school studying criminal justice. Um, <laughs> halfway through then though, I learned some politics behind the justice system and the for-profit prison systems and mm. some of the things behind there that was making it very difficult for me to pursue that. Now, I thought back then, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to make some changes. But that's when um, some other things began to manifest in my health. Once again, when you're not in alignment with your dream and you're not in alignment with, you know, clear 
beliefs and values and, and what you want to do with your life, um, it's going to show up. It will show up. And um, I started to get sick again, and, and uh, fibromyalgia started to show up, and I was just always in pain. Mm. And my second daughter uh, was six months old. So when she went for her second round of vaccines, that's when swine flu was coming out in 2009. And... Um, not sure if anybody or everybody listening has remembers swine flu, mm -hmm. but it was like chaos. Yeah. And so she was due for all of her second rounds of shots, like MMR and HEB and DTAP and um, all of those, right? Uh, tetanus, as well as the flu shot. But then also they were giving everybody the swine flu vaccine. So they inundated her with all of those. Mm -hmm. And me, um, I had always been very pro-vaccine. My, my first daughter was fully vaccinated. She had no problems. And in fact, you know, I was one of those moms who was like super, you know, I confessed and I, I admit I was very judgy towards any parent who did not judge or uh, did not vaccinate their, their kids. And, um, you know, looking back, I feel bad that I was judgmental towards other parents because my second child ended up very sick and hurt mm. from this round of vaccines that she received. And um, lifelong, she will now deal with the um, consequences of, of that because um, later, as I found out, like she... Um, you know, she was a chunky, fat, happy baby. Soon after these vaccines, not only two weeks later were we both, she and I, diagnosed with swine flu. So we were we got the flu shot and the swine flu vaccine. We still tested both of us positive for swine flu, and we had to quarantine our home. And my husband at the time, an older daughter, had to move out, and she was on a you know, breathing mask. And I mean, it was oh horrible. It was absolutely horrible. Um, my breast milk dried up. I could no longer breastfeed her and she stopped thriving. So she went from like the 90th percentile to the 10th percentile mm. up until just recently. She's She finally reached at nine years old, the, I think she's in the 30th percentile now. And um, so she developed um, the same as me, uh, celiac disease. So when she started eating solid foods, we noticed that every time she ate, her stomach would just expand and blow up. And, mm -hmm. you know, like she was in a car seat and if, you know, she was eating a cracker or something, she, her stomach would blow up so much like the car seat would just like almost suffocate her. Oh, my. And um, so... Back then, also, this is when I started researching vaccines and trying to figure out, like, because her pediatrician wanted to, you know, at nine months and 12 months, like, get her, you know, keep her on the same schedule. But I told her, like, she's not the same. She's grumpy. She's grouchy. Her face is always puffy. Um, you know, she's got blue circles under her eyes. She won't let anyone hold her but me. My milk has dried up. She won't eat anymore. Like, something's wrong. I don't want anyone putting anything in her yeah. until I figure out what's wrong with her. Did they know that it was the vaccines? No. 
when it happened. They didn't know that. No, and neither did I, actually. Okay. Like, neither did I. So All you I... just, it was kind of an instinct. Right. That you were at least wanted to know more about the vaccines before you proceeded with yes. more of them. Yeah, it was, just, the instinct was, she had her vaccines, we got the swine flu, I could no longer nurse her, stop. I don't want anybody to do anything else to her, mm -hmm. like no more medications, no more vaccines, no more nothing until we get her tested and figure something out. The problem was she wasn't a year old yet, and they didn't want to do anything until she was a year. And then they said they my pediatrician wouldn't refer her to a gastroenterologist because she was resisting me. Like the pediatrician resisted to... Um, uh, like, cause I, she knew I had celiac disease and mm -hmm. she was telling me things like, well, if you eliminate gluten from her diet, you're going to make her allergic to gluten. And me having already done a lot of years of research on this thought that was a very ignorant thing to say. And I, not being a doctor should not know more than you who is a doctor. Mm -hmm. So that was like a red flag to me. Yeah. That was a very silly thing to say about nutrition. Yeah. And you should not be talking about nutrition if you don't know about nutrition because that's actually not true. Like Yeah, if she's allergic to gluten, then the last thing you want to do is keep giving her gluten. Especially if you don't know she's allergic to gluten. Like how do you know she's not allergic to gluten? Like so but you don't want to test her for it. That was the problem. That's that's what raised the red flag. She didn't want to test her for it. And so my suggestion was, why don't we start eliminating things and then reintroducing to see if she's reacting? And she said, but if you do that, you're going to make her allergic to it. And I, I said, what? Can you, like, I, I made her repeat that to me. And then I said, can you explain to me why that would make her allergic to it? Because some kids go through phases. I love chicken nuggets. No, I don't want chicken nuggets anymore. So if we, she doesn't want to eat chicken nuggets for a couple months, does that mean now she's allergic to chicken nuggets? Like, explain to me. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so I was trying to have her give me the logic. And she was just very, like, resistant to this. And I couldn't figure it out. So now, so that kind of made me like that that raised red flags to me mm -hmm. because at that same appointment I told her no we don't want the flu shot and I don't want to get her any vaccines until I know what is wrong with my child right. and I do not want to put any more antibiotics in her because at that point she had already had tubes put in her ears then the tube fell out so she had to have more tube put in so she'd been through enough, and she wasn't even a year old. Mm. So she'd had two surgeries. Then she had her adenoids removed. And during that surgery, she woke up. So she was traumatized. Oh, my God. So before she was a year old, she had swine flu. She stopped nursing. She had two tube surgeries and an adenoid surgery, in which she'd woke up during. Oh, so my goodness. I just, I was telling the pediatrician, like, leave her alone. Let's find out what's wrong. And she wasn't even on solid foods that long. Mm -hmm. So, <laughs> like, the fact that she wasn't letting me have a voice yeah. was giving me the heebie-jeebies. And the fact that her inserting very illogical, irrational 
nonsensical, like, this is a woman who went to med school, mm. and her her rhetoric was very, like, like, I should, I, like, I didn't go to med school. How am I the logical one here standing here in, in mm. a doctor's office? You're the doctor. Mm-hmm. That was so... Um, so I refused the vaccines and she threatened me that she's going to have to report me. Um, and I was, I was still in school. I was going back to school at the time. And she's, and so, uh, Kelly was in, um, daycare part-time two days a week. She said she was going to have to report me to the state of Texas if I didn't get her flu shot. And that was my second red flag. And I said, that's not true. Just because she doesn't get a flu shot, she only goes to daycare twice a week. And um, she uh, she said, well, you know, some parents, this were her words, some parents do like to protect their children from getting sick. Only some parents, though. Yeah. <laughs> and I just got chills up my spine because this was the doctor. I mean, I loved her. Like, she was amazing. She spent so much time with the kids. She never rushed us out of her, you know, office and... All of a sudden, it was just like this one issue, the vaccines, and me wanting to find out what was wrong with my child. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, it was like, no, since this day, she has not been the same, and I want to know what's going on. All of a sudden, this wonderful doctor, whom I loved and had a great relationship with, turned on me. And I yeah, since that day, I have been like research queen. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm going to read every single paper there is to read on vaccines. And I don't care what it says. I don't care if it is pro-vaccine or anti-vaccine. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. And I have spent literally the past nine years, any new study or, or journal that comes out on vaccines, I read it because my motivation is not to prove that vaccines are bad or good. Mm -hmm. My motivation is just to understand as much as I can about them, because I'll tell you, my oldest daughter has been fully vaccinated and she has not shown any evidence of having any problems. Mm -hmm. So I do know that at least one of my three children, you know, has turned out okay. Mm -hmm. But I also know that one of them has not yeah because and and not only that not just once in her life but two times in her life because when their father and i got a divorce i stopped vaccinating them by the way and the year we stopped vaccinating um was the year that was the first year and since then that none of us got the flu because before then every year we got the flu shot every year we got the flu the, the year we stopped getting the flu shot, and since then, none of us have ever gotten the flu. Wow. So once again, you can call that a coincidence, and that may not be the case for everybody. But for us, like, you know, that's yeah. cool. And, and again, also, if one of us gets the flu, we're okay with it, mm-hmm. you know, because we live a healthy lifestyle. And, and I'm pretty sure, you know, with our immune systems, we, we're good. Like, we right. can withstand Your the body flu. body will kick it. You know, mm-hmm. it's okay to be down for a week, right? Mm-hmm. But that said, when um, their father and I got a divorce, like, he's not totally on the same fence as me. 
and um, he he's you know he doesn't have bad intentions um, he cares for these girls um, but when he was getting them all set up to go back to school like the nurse called them about the the vaccines and couldn't get me so he called the, she called him and he was like oh um, I guess we, you know, we're missing vaccines on Kelly. So he had his assistant get her set up at the, the doctor and had the doctor's appointment made. So unbeknownst to me, he had her taken to the doctor and fully caught up on her vaccines. And without talk, talking to me about it, oh without discussing goodness. it with me, and within three weeks, she was back in the ER. So... We don't. We not only have one case in evidence with her, mm-hmm. but two cases within evidence. And so three weeks later, she was in the ER once again. And again, like she was seven years old. And between nine months or six months to nine months old and seven years old, she was a healthy kid. No vaccines. We kept her in a healthy diet, healthy lifestyle, no gluten, everything. She was a healthy kid. She maybe had two trips to the doctor. We like we never went to the doctor ever. Mm-hmm. She these kids never were on antibiotics, nothing for seven years. So when he got her caught up on her vaccines, she was in the ER three weeks later. Mm-hmm. Like fever was one oh four point five or something like that. Oh, she my. was burning up, she was screaming in pain. Um, and then six months later is when her stomach started getting so big, her liver became so enlarged, um, that by the time we got to the doctor and the, they sent us over to the ER, they said it was 10 times the size of a a normal size of her age. Wow. That's, that's how bad it was. And that's when she was diagnosed with autoimmune hepatitis. Wow. So it. We don't need any more evidence that some children just cannot be vaccinated. Mm-hmm. The liver is what detoxes our bodies. That's what that that's where you know our our toxins travel through. Our liver is the cl- the cleaner, basically. It's mm-hmm. the janitor of our bodies, and it couldn't handle it. And we don't need to do anything else to her body. And there are children out there who just can't handle it there are people out there who can't handle it and who are we to say who right like who's the generalized public the vaccine safety studies have never gone past 14 days vaccine safety studies every single vaccine safety studies i can't even say it has been five to 14 days there's never been one more than two weeks long so how do we know after two weeks what wow. vaccine is safe? Mm-hmm. And there's never been any vaccine safety studies done in children other than observational because it's unethical to do safety studies of vaccines and pharmaceuticals in children under 14 years old. That There's an ethics, uh, you know, boundary there uh, scientifically. Mm-hmm. So it's illegal, basically due to the ethics. And so but it is ethical to just give children to just shots give it to them. that haven't been tested. Right. Wow. To just be like here you go. Right. Over like basically so we've done these studies on adults and based on this dosage, based on this height and weight, 
will just like do the math. Therefore, it's probably safe to do it on this child. Right. Like that's how they, you know, like. So how do we know what the genetics are and what mm. what their DNA and, and who who can take what and, and not? Right. And so the government mandating these things on parents and shaming them and threatening them mm -hmm. and pushing fear into the media and saying you have to do this and like creating these camps of parents who are now shaming other parents who don't, it's like it's isolating, polarizing. And now you've got like more reasons to segregate people, like as if we don't have enough hate in this country. Like parents are the one thing like that you need to have tribes for. Mm. So, like I said in the very beginning, I was one of those moms who judged other moms who didn't vaccinate their kids. And then I became a mom whose kid became sick from vaccines. And mm. I'm now on the side of that fence watching her kid. And that's what I'm going to say is like you don't ever want to be that parent who says... Like, that's something I could have prevented if I had known more information. Mm -hmm. Because the worst thing is watching your kids suffer. The worst thing is watching them suffer. And I'll tell you what, chicken pox is something I would much rather she had. The flu is something I'd much rather she had. Measles is something I'd much rather she had right now. And I don't mean to make light of it. I'm not joking about it. Most of these vaccines that these kids get with a healthy diet and lifestyle and mindful care, they're survivable. They're fine. You know, mm -hmm. you might be out for a week. You get fever. Like the, the news puts out, the media puts out these horrible, fearful things that like I, re I read the excerpt um, that the CDC sends you when you have to go and um, um, get uh, when you have the vaccine, uh, when you waive the vaccine thing, you have to turn it in, sending to your school um, for the state of Texas. And um, they make you read this thing that says, so if you don't get the vaccine, here's the risks you take. And so, like, for one of them, like measles, you know, um, here's what measles causes. Fever, rash, um, uh, respiratory um, issues. And then they always jump to the next thing, um, fatality. <laughs> and it's like, um, yeah, like in 1945. Right. Like, you know, like the very rare cases where you know, people die of the flu or children die of the flu or, or seniors die of the flu or anybody dies of the flu or pneumonia or measles or whatever mm -hmm. are cases where children have very weakened immune systems or seniors have extremely weakened immune systems or they have another virus already right. in the system that leaves them susceptible to it or they have something like, you know, um, uh, you know, like another infection going on that is redirecting the immune system to fight that. And so they can't battle both. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, so these are issues where like any normal child going, skipping off to school who may catch the measles, 
their chances are like probably pretty good. They're going to be okay if they do get it. They're going right. to have the fever and it's going to be like the flu or the cold and they're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Like that's not what they're telling you. They're telling you there's an outbreak in New York of measles right now in the Jewish community. Oh, my gosh. And it's because they're not vaccinating and they're scaring the shit out of people. And it's making people angry at people who are not vaccinating. And what they're forgetting to tell you is like, okay, well, if your kid is vaccinated, why are you scared? Right. Because if vaccines work, why are you worried about your kid? Mm -hmm. You know, like, so what I'm saying is like, I would much rather knowing what I know now based on what this has done to my child's body that she will forever, ever have for the rest of her life. Mm. She now has to be on steroids and immunosuppressants. She is now at risk for other severe life-threatening issues because of the medications that she ironically now paradoxically has to take to save her life. I would much rather she have measles. I would much rather she have chicken pox or the flu or the, I would much rather every year she get the flu and the cold and, Mm. you know, like hepatitis, like why does, why does a three minute old baby have to get a hepatitis vaccine? Like who's having sex with a three minute old baby? Come on. Like, why do they need to be protected against this? Like Mm. no one has ever addressed this. And these, uh, you know, we had eight doses in 1984 before we were nine years old. And now we have 34 doses. I think it could be more now, but in 2016, it was 34 doses. Wow. So why, if vaccines are working to protect us against all of these, if they're working... Why are we tripling, more than tripling the doses we're giving our kids if they're working so well? Mm-hmm. And why are these pharmaceutical companies paying out billions of dollars in, in these, these court battles for falsifying do, you know, documents mm-hmm. and, and causing these issues? Like, why, why are... That's we're talking billions of dollars. Mm-hmm. Like no one's asking these questions. All they're doing is reading these headlines and and just pointing fingers at people who do not vaccinate their children. And like I said, I'm not anti-vaccine. Right. First of all, tetanus shot. Like that's one I'm all for. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because like I've I've had MRSA infection and like that one was scary. And I didn't know I had it. And should I had had a tetanus shot, like, like because where I had a MRSA infection, it was like hard to see, and hence why hard to detect, and, and it took a long time to see it. So, should any of my children like step on a rusty nail, and you know we're traveling or something, and like there are vaccines that are like important to get. What I don't understand is like why the triple. Mm-hmm. Like, why the triple, triple all at once? Why don't we get an option right. to have one and space it out? Right. Why, why the tri- like, why do you have to get all at once? Why can't we get, um, you know, why are parents shamed for wanting to, um, 
you know, delay the schedule. Mm-hmm. That I don't understand either. It's not like they're saying, like, I'm not going to have any vaccines. I'm not going to do it at all. We just want to space them out and give my child a little time to detox their systems. Right. Um, they're still getting fear-mongered and shamed and um, threatened to, like, not be able to register their child in school and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. these are, I just, I, I don't understand why more people aren't questioning that. Right. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. I always um, have just found it interesting now they promote uh, that you can get free flu shots Mm -hmm. at the grocery store, at the convenience store, or the drugstore, so to speak. And, you know, it's... it's, kind of cloaked in this idea that like, oh, we are so, um, you know, so giving and so concerned with everyone's health that we're going to give you these things for free. Mm -hmm. But it's just interesting because (laughs) this is a, an industry that is, you know, one of the, you know, top industries of the world. Like clearly they have a monetary incentive. Yes. Why are they suddenly giving away something, something for free? Um, Just... You know, going back to uh, you talking about, you know, you had this big list from the CDC that you had to go through looking at all of the, um, you know, uh, potential dangers if you don't vaccinate. Mm -hmm. Um, This idea of informed consent. Mm -hmm. You should be fully informed, the pros and the cons, all different sides of everything before you make a decision. Um, A lot of times you know, that emphasis is on, oh, here's what's going to happen if you don't do this. Mm-hmm. But where was the informed consent about the potential, you know, side effects of the vaccines or no. dangers of the vaccines? Yeah, we didn't get that. Um, to where, you know, even now, of course, this issue is much more in the in the forefront. Um, but at the same time, and I'm not a mother, so I can't speak directly to, you know, what of those informations are given or, you know, how much informed consent you receive, but just as a, a general comment, um, you know, usually the informed consent is really not there in totality. Mm-hmm. Either the doctor doesn't know all of the potential side effects, all of the potential contraindications you might have. Um, so taking, you know, now uh, they kind of know that there's certain genetic tests that can be done on children to determine if they might be predisposed to mm-hmm. these negative reactions to vaccines. Um But just in general, this kind of, um, you know, blind spot, so to speak, that's on these certain areas. And, you know, um, unfortunately, at such a high cost, as you, you know, spoke about. Yeah. Um, So this is one of those things that has to be an individual um, decision made by the parents based on this uh, hopefully informed consent 
Um, so just kind of speaking to that problem that we're not fully informed. Um, and partially because, you know, maybe there's um, entities that want us to receive the vaccines or, or maybe just because it's not known. Yeah. You know? I mean, Alex was pumping gas the other day, and when he picked up the nozzle and selected his fuel grade, he then got a little thing across the, the would you like to get your flu shot today? At the gas station. At the gas station. <laughs> and then we're getting text messages from our insurance company about getting the flu shot for free and emails from our insurance company. You haven't got your flu shot yet. We notice you haven't got your flu shot. We notice you haven't got your flu shot. And it's like, Jeez, like, I mean, we already actually called, like, I picked up the phone and told our, our, you know, insurance company, we don't get the flu shot and you can stop calling now. It's, you know, so yes, there has to be some sort of, like, incentive for mm -hmm. sure. Um, and in terms of, like, informed consent, I wonder why, because that seems like a no-brainer to me. But at the same time, I wonder if implementing informed consent also puts liability behind the pharmaceutical company as well. Because if you're giving informed consent, does information also admit liability mm -hmm. to pharmaceutical companies? Because they are still protected um, behind that, uh, I think, I believe it's the 1984 um, uh, an act through the... The Supreme Court um, protects the pharmaceutical companies against um, lawsuits. Do you know about that? Um, it's 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 really shady. So if anybody doesn't know about this, you can look it up any anywhere. This is what what is so amazing about the internet is um, pharmaceutical companies are protected by the Supreme Court against lawsuits, uh, injury lawsuits, by anyone who is injured. Um, by vaccine um, or drug uh, um, drug injuries, so it, it, it's sort of a, um, a I forgot what they call it, but it's like a a bag law of like people can bring lawsuits to the pharmaceutical companies if they have been injured or um, had a, a serious effect of it, but the the drug company can only be sued up to a certain amount there's no like there there cannot be anything above a certain amount that the drug company can be and so in back in the 80s this was they made a deal with the supreme court so if you want proof or evidence that the government and pharmaceutical companies are not laying in the same bed together you can find the law under the Supreme Court, it's a federal law. Like, it's in there. Like, it's for public to see. So if you don't believe me that there's shady stuff going on, mm -hmm. and if you want more evidence that the media is not sleeping under the same covers, too, just keep going and looking for who those ghost writers who are writing for the, the Forbes and Fox News, those are two big ones, Next time you read something about these measles outbreaks or um, Andrew Wakefield or Dr. Sears and how horrible they are and what they're doing about promoting anti-vaccines and um, what the anti-vaccine movement is doing for the health of our nation. Like if you see any headlines like that, look who that author is and do a Google search on that author and see where their paycheck came from. Mm. 
It's so easy. It only takes a few copy and paste and clicks. I'm telling you, if you do that research, I challenge you to do it. And you will find out who these people are being paid for and who these ghostwriters are being paid for. A lot of them are stay-at-home moms um, who really are very well-intentioned, trying to just, you know, do, make some money mm-hmm. and um, write some, you know, freelance work and um, make a, f- a little extra money on the side. But really, they're just being given the words to write right. and deliver it. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, it's being paid for by the pharmaceutical companies to write the words that are going to benefit their image Mm -hmm. and being put on to the media platforms that have the most viewership because the most viewership is where they need to get, you know, their visibility across. Right. So those three are really, like, very important. The government, the pharmaceutical company, and the media I mean, that's where our information's coming from, and um, they're all together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. when the first moment that pediatrician went from, like, my best friend and the one person I trusted to someone who turned on me just mm-hmm. because of this one issue because I asked a question and demanded more information— like, that's when I knew, like, there's more to this. Right. And I've got to get to the bottom of it. And, like, I'm telling you, I'm just a mom. but And it took me nine years. And I'm still learning nine years to learn that, like, vaccines are not horrible, but they're not good for everybody. Mm-hmm. And it is no one's job but mine, the mom, and yours, the parent to decide mm-hmm. like what goes inside your child's body right. and what goes inside your body. Like that's, that's the bottom line. I am not here to tell anybody that vaccines are, are horrible or good. Mm-hmm. I'm just here to say like, no one should be telling us like what to do with our bodies. That's it. Period. Right. And I think most people can agree with that statement. Um, there's also this element of, you know, selective information that right. is shared with yeah. us, um, you know, because like so many times, you know, anyone in the realm of natural health, holistic nutrition, whatever, I mean, you have a lot of skepticism. Mm-hmm. Well, show me the scientific findings that yeah. prove what you're sh- saying, you know, show me the studies that show that. And it, you know, just has to be... Um, you know, thrown thrown in to the understanding that the whole way that a study even, you know, exists in the first place is because somebody's funding it. And mm-hmm. you have to ask who's funding this study. Who are the people with the money to fund the studies? Yes. For the most part, that's your pharmaceutical companies. So you have these biased studies largely being funded by the pharmaceutical studies, like the wolf guarding the hen house Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. And then once that study is complete, they select which of those results 
are released. Yes. Which of those results are publicized? So by the time you're looking through the newspaper or your favorite news source or whatever, and you see this article about this study, you have to understand that that's not an unbiased report. Yeah. You can look at who has most of the advertisements in that publication as a good way of knowing who that publication is beholden to.、Mm-hmm. And more often than not, whether it's TV, magazines, just about anything, you see those pharmaceutical ads over and over, and that's a good way of knowing that that particular publication they're beholden to those pharmaceuticals, and they're not going to publish something that. Potentially sheds them in a bad light. They're not、right. going to publish the findings that found this drug to be harmful. Correct. You know, so even as much as we want to go to a scientific journal or a scientific study and use that as our unbiased, you know, resource. You know, and that was a big eye opener for me because I, of course, as I was going through college and studying and everything, I mean, I saw those scientific studies as the holy grail, so、yes. to speak. You know, like here's your truth, here's your study, and it wasn't until I was able to see, you know, kind of the under, you know, the underplay of that. And all of these little pieces where you know, well, here's where the bias does get introduced. Yeah.、Um, When I was in college, I thought, "Oh, I want to be a medical writer when、mm-hmm. I grow up."、Um, joining my love of health and nutrition and understanding biology and writing,、mm-hmm. um, so I actually went to this American Medical Writers Convention,、um, and this was like in my I don't know junior year of college or something. And I was really excited. I'm like getting a jump start on my career, and I want to be a medical writer.、Um, And basically, what I learned at this American Medical Writers uh, Association uh, conference was that most of the employers, if you're a medical writer, are pharmaceutical companies.、Mm-hmm. You're not working for a third party or something. You are literally employed by the pharmaceutical、yeah. company. Your job is writing the inserts of、mm-hmm. the drugs. Your job is ghostwriting、mm-hmm. those scientific studies. And the whole thing with a ghostwriter is that、uh, you write the article, some doctor signs his name on it, some doctor signs his name on it. And so、yeah. a lot of times, and you'll even see this as you start looking at those different articles on these studies, and they're so-called written by this certain doctor, right? Chances that that doctor actually penned that story are incredibly very, low. Very minimal, yeah. Because they've got those ghostwriters in there. But anyways, that whole experience was very.、Right. How many doctors do you know actually have time to like sit down and write articles? Yeah,、um, right. Because they don't even have time to read research. <laughs> Because the doctors, they actually did a study on this that doctors today are. Um, on average, thirteen years behind on research. Wow. Yeah, and that's understandable. And、right. clearly, there's so much information、um, that it's、uh, you know it's overwhelming for us as just you know kind of the average person. It's、yeah. clearly overwhelming for them. Right.、Um, yeah. But I also think that there's this element that you know we. Want to kind of give the authority to this group or the authority to the doctors, but then as you kind of found firsthand, like there ends up being these time where, you know, maybe the doctor is not fully informed, right? And clearly, in the case of the you know gastroenterologist. 
back at the beginning of this interview yeah. who told you to go, oh, sorry, you're gluten intolerant. You probably just need to search on the Internet to figure yeah. out what to do. Yeah. Um, that the doctors don't always have the answers. And it's not that they're, you know, always right or always wrong. It kind of goes back to, you know, uh, with the vaccines, too. People kind of gravitate towards, like, they're either good they're bad and just kind of ignore there's this whole middle ground yes. <laughs> of stuff in between. And yeah. it's the same thing, you know, whether it's doctors or even people who are working for these pharmaceutical companies, they're not all good and they're not all bad. There's all this room in between. And a lot of times you have people who are well-intentioned, but there's just so much information, maybe they don't know all of it. Mm -hmm. So are you working with someone who just wants to maintain their authority, even in the face of you bringing information to them? And I've had doctors that have done this to me. You know, yeah. I'll print something out and bring it to them. And I'm like, wow, this sounds like all my symptoms or whatever. And they will either be open-minded or they will immediately say, oh, no, that's that's just wrong. That's just bull or yeah. whatever. And that's a very telling experience, yeah. you know, of the person you're working with. Are they open-minded to the information you've brought? Are they willing to accept that maybe there's something out there they don't know? Mm -hmm. um, because I think, you know, for every for every one of us, there's things that we know and there's things that we don't know. Most of us are willing to admit that. Um, but unfortunately, in the world of, of medicine, I feel like there's, um, there's often this situation where the doctor is, is not necessarily open-minded to you bringing things to them. Right. They don't want you to question what they're saying or question, you know, their particular recommendation. Um, and especially now as all of the, you know, chronic illnesses that people are facing, I mean, things are becoming increasingly complex. Um, the autoimmune root of different, you know, diseases that people are having, it just really, in my mind, necessitates that open-mindedness, yeah. open-mindedness that people are willing to, um, to accept that maybe there's things that they don't know Maybe this thing that works really well for 90% of people doesn't mean it's necessarily healthy for everyone. Right. Um, and it should be okay that mm -hmm. people make the choice for themselves. Right. And that if you're a parent that chooses to vaccinate your child, um, that's okay, you know? And, and if someone else chooses not to, that doesn't mean they're this or that. Like, there doesn't need to be a judgment placed on anyone, mm -hmm. whether they do or don't. No matter what choice it is, it's just a choice. Just like I choose to be this religion or I choose to wear this color shirt today. Like, this is a choice. I'm a human being. These are my children. That's my family. This is my body. This is my health. This is my life. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a choice. That's it. The end. Period. And I love you, and I love me, and let's just go on. Mm -hmm. There's no catastrophic event that's going to occur by people having free will to what goes on in their body and what they choose for their health, for themselves or their children. Nothing. There, no catastrophic event. We have moved past polio. Mm -hmm. We have moved past famine. And that post-war era where like nutrition and what was going on in our country during that time where 
you know, we were dying of these diseases. Why? Not because we weren't vaccinating or didn't have vaccines. I don't know if Alex talked to you in a, uh, when we were talking about sort of the post-war era and um, earlier in, in some of our conversations, vaccines, as they uncovered, and I believe it was a Canadian doctor that did some of this re research, but I may be wrong, so don't quote me. Vaccines did seemingly, as they may show over time, eradicate plenty of diseases, but you may also find when you look back at um, between the 40s and the 50s that a lot of these diseases and survival rates to, um, you know, uh, these diseases such as polio and uh, bronchitis and all of these uh, tuberculosis, the survival rates began to increase because what happened is that surgeons began to wash their hands mm -hmm. because before they didn't do that. They didn't wear gloves. There weren't sanitation practices in right. surgical rooms and doctor rooms and things like that. Believe it or not, I'm not joking. Um, this is another amazing fact you can find all over the internet. These are also in medical books, but not talked about. Um, once they started doing this and once they started practicing sanitation, washing hands before surgery, washing hands before medical procedures and before they treat the patient and then after they treat the patient, um, healing and survival rates shot up. Mm -hmm. But they, they credited vaccines for this. And um, so we don't really know what's what actually right. in all of this. Um, but the point of the matter is we, we know more about hygiene. We know more about health and, mm -hmm. and microbiology and gut microbiome and how to take care of ourselves. And, um, you know, so all truth be told, um, really, it's just like taking care of ourselves mm -hmm. and really in, in low economic um, areas and those who do not have health, uh, you know, access to, to these health practices and, and um, abilities to take care of themselves or their children or their schools have, um, you know, don't have this much access or clean water, or clean food or things like that. Like, let's mm -hmm. focus on that. Like, let's, let's push our efforts towards supplying that. Mm -hmm. um, rather than judging everybody and each other and mandating, you know, sticking a needle in everybody's arm and, and giving doctors and insurance companies and gas stations, like what the hell, incentives for shoving needles in everybody's arm. We don't, we don't need to do that because mm -hmm. like I said, like we don't need scientific proof of everything. We like, we don't, our minds are just so, so down the drain on that like we're we're like science is almost like outscienced itself <laughs> you know what I mean like how much do we need mm -hmm. my daughter is enough is all the science I need I don't need any more proof and I don't need anybody else's kid to get sick and I don't need any more lives to be hurt or wasted or uh, I don't need any other mothers to regret decisions. I just need everybody to like lay off each other and I need the government to just step up and mm -hmm. um, grow some ovaries and say, 
like, you know, the pharmaceutical company can go bite me and Mm -hmm. eat a bag of you know what, because lives are important here. Right. And when you look at the the way we treat our food system and our nutrition, like you were talking about who's in bed with who, like the American um, Association of Dietitians and whatever, like you look at the sponsors, McDonald's, Hershey, Mars Candy, um, Coca-Cola, and like the messages that that they're sending. And yes, they're funding university curriculum. Like that's why I wouldn't get my nutrition degree through any university because it's funded by Coca-Cola and Hershey, Hmm. um, all in moderation campaign. Like who, who are creating dietitians curriculum books and, um, you know, higher education and continued education unit points um, curriculum for diabetics. Like a chocolate company, a Coca-Cola company, mm-hmm. whose CEO is quoted as saying that all children need a pick-me-up drink when they get home from school. Like that's the biggest bullshit lie I've ever heard in my life. And it's crap because she's a billionaire and She's saying it because they need to feed the pockets of their investors. That's mm-hmm. it. That's all she's saying it for. And does she give sodas to her own children? Bullshit. No, she Probably doesn't. Probably not. No, absolutely not. They drink sparkling water from, you know, like, it's just like none of that's, it's all crap. It's all mm-hmm. lies. And we're all being fed those lies because those are being marketed to low-income communities, truly, because if you go to the higher income communities and you look what's in those vending machines, it's not Coca-Cola and it's not Hershey. That's the sad part. Mm-hmm. You go to the lower income communities and what's in their schools, like they're getting lower income communities addicted to this stuff. They're getting the children addicted to this sugar and they're pumping them full of these medications and vaccines and they're putting cigarette and tobacco and alcohol, you know, advertising on the outside of their schools. Mm -hmm. Like it's sick. It's disgusting. Mm -hmm. And it's legal. It's legal. Like it's just disgusting. It just makes me sick. It definitely calls into question like you had uh, mentioned at the very beginning as you were actually in the legal you know, system, law enforcement and everything, and really seeing all of these pieces that um, just don't line up. Yeah. You know, like on one hand, you're here to protect people, but on the other hand, you're doing things that are clearly to the detriment of people's health because these, you know, really big industries and lobbyists and uh, granted that is a kind of technical um, topic could even be a whole podcast topic in itself. (laughs) But just for people to understand that um, these large corporations have a huge amount of influence over our media, over our government, over the public schools, everything from the school lunches and all of that, um, that these are not necessarily free of, you know, corporate pressures, um, you know, pressures for profit where the profit is being um, prioritized over the people. And, you know, even that is kind of a, a cliche, you know, people over profit. 
but for people to really understand what that means. And then as these different things come up in our lives, whether it's flu shots, vaccinations, you know, whether or not our doctor will test us for celiac disease or test mm -hmm. our daughter for celiac disease, you know, all of these little things you can start to see in the context of, um, you know, whether or not you're just um, accepting something as fact because it's being given to you from, you know, the doctor, the authority figure, or the ADA mm -hmm. recommendations. Um, and you just start to see where, you know, actually these different financial motivations are kind of influencing that information that's coming down to us. And um, as much as this, <laughs> as this talk has, has, has been very heavy, you know, yeah. um, to me, I see all of this as um, it makes us stronger. It empowers us to know. It empowers us to feel more confident in asking questions, feel more confident in doing our own research, and then listening to that intuition yeah. that comes from within us that may fly in the face of the pediatrician or the doctor or everyone's telling you to get flu shots, but maybe something in your gut is that your child hasn't responded well to vaccinations. You know, that we just start to, um, you know, be, be more empowered to do our own research and make our own decisions. Yeah, if something doesn't seem right, that's that, that's that inner knowing. I call it the knower. Because everybody has a knower, and women have, like, and no offense, men, but women have a, like, an even bigger knower. Because our radar is just, like, it's always, like, you know, it's always going, like, in all directions, like the big giant satellite. Also, women um, are able to utilize and manage both sides of the brain. Men can only use one side at a time. And so when you become a mother that is even more amplified. Mm. And so I'm just encouraging mothers that when you become a mother, like you have a gift that's now even been strengthened more. Mm -hmm. Like listen to it. You don't, you know, like I know it's scary like to have this life in your hands and you're responsible for that life. And so you have this pediatrician and you have like, you know, these elders and all these other people. And so it's just easier to take a little anxiety off of you, a little burden off of you to have someone tell you like what to do. Mm -hmm. Just like a trainer would tell you how to do this. And a priest tells you how your sins are forgiven. And, you know, the doctor, the, or the pharmacist tells you what drugs to take and, you know, the whatever, like the traffic lights tell you which way to go and everything everywhere is telling you what to do and how to do it right and like mm -hmm. all I'm saying is like we have knowers in our t bodies in our selves that already tell us what to do like because mm -hmm. we already know like trust it like there's a voice that tells you so if something doesn't feel right like go with it ask the questions follow the trail and and look into it and and do your research and um follow it mm -hmm. like you have a right to ask questions you have a right to say no mm -hmm. and if something doesn't feel right doesn't smell right doesn't taste right like it's okay to say no like mm -hmm. and there's nothing more empowering than doing that and it doesn't matter if it takes you know, months or a year, like, look at me, nine years, like, 
it's okay. Like, because this is your body, your health, your children, your family, like, like you get this one time, you know, like just honor it. Mm -hmm. And um, otherwise you're, you're gonna see a lot of patterns and a lot of problems, a lot of challenges show up for you in your life. And I will tell you that I do have a friend that, that does, you know, hand sanitizer and take your shoes off and antibiotics every sneeze. And, you know, like she's a germaphobe and everything. And I have never known anyone whose children are not constantly sick and mm -hmm. like rotating in and out of the doctor's office constantly. So trust your gut. You, you, you know, you can do this. You can take care of yourself. You can be your guardian. Mm -hmm. And that's all I, I mean, I could just go on and on about this. But if, if you seem to be asking a question and that offends your doctor, run the other way. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of doctors that will listen to you and not make you feel like crap for asking questions. That, right. Period. And keep going until you find that doctor. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of doctors out there, great doctors, great physicians and MDs and specialists out there who listen. And, and I, we found them and they're out there. Mm -hmm. And no one should threaten you. No one should shame you. And um, period. So, I want to thank you so much for being here. And I just want you to know that I... <laughs> Oh, I, I get a little do, passionate. I would do anything to turn back the hands of time and, um, yeah, just wish that all of this information was available, you know. Um, but I want to thank you for being here and for sharing your story and hopefully empowering um, some of our listeners to I hope it does. go out there and do their own research, too. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. Definitely want to thank all of you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about Sarah at primalfusionhealth.com. And if you'd like to see the full video version of this interview, along with hundreds of other health and wellness videos, you can head over to wellnessplus.tv and start your free two-week trial. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll come back and join us again soon. And have a beautiful rest of your day. The Wellness Plus Podcast, copyright 2018, Target Public Media, LLC, all rights reserved.